At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Healthcare Americana. I am your host, Christopher Having, the CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. This is a podcast for the 99% of people who get care in America. We're not clinicians or policymakers. We're patients and caregivers, executives and advocates who are fed up with the status quo and have a desire to change it. This podcast brings listeners backstage at innovative organizations with innovative individuals across America that are putting patients first by delivering exceptional care to anyone and everyone. Today, we are going to be diving into the world of healthcare consulting. Now, that's a very ambiguous term, and we're going to dive a little bit into that. But what we see a lot of challenges dealing in the direct care world is how do we put pieces together? A lot of people want it. Some people might not know as much as they want to. But the question that we always are fielding is, well, how do I do that? How does that work? How does this compare to what I have before? And sometimes the answer is so simple that it is actually more complex and more confusing. With us today is Doug Geinzer, founder and president of High Performance, Pro- excuse me, High Performance Providers out of Las Vegas. Doug, thanks for joining us here. And uh, sorry, uh, pardon my, my tongue-tied uh, uh, introduction there uh, on your company, but high-performance providers, thanks for joining us on Healthcare Americana. Christopher, thanks for having me today. Look forward to the uh, interview and the chat. Now, that just goes to show that when people are like, yeah, how heavily edited is this podcast? I'm like, you know, we're pretty, we're, we, we kind of shoot from the hip here. We kind of go off the cuff <laughs> here and, and really get the, uh, the, the, the beautiful interactions uh, of two people who have similar ideas and just all kinds of different ways to go about it. And that's really the beauty of, of being in the industry from my standpoint, from Freedom Health Works. And I don't know if you share the same thing, working with a lot of different, really innovative, really smart people to help patients out, help people find affordable care and help people find great quality care across the U.S. Yeah, you know, it's you and I probably run in a lot of the same circles, a little different in that you stay focused on the primary care side. I'm more on the specialty side. Really, I dive deep into uh, the surgical side. So I work with uh, surgeons in the uh, specialists and subspecialists in the high cost steerable events area. Think knees, hips, spine, bariatric, gen surge, cardio, what have you. Uh, but we, same space. It's these doctors want to uh, be doctors. They want to deliver exceptional health care and they want to get paid a fair amount. We were talking just kind of uh, offline there that, you know, we get a lot of calls and we're talking to a lot of, a lot of um, what I call subspecialist surgeons who are saying, wow, this is really cool what everybody's doing in the primary care world. And, you know, we joke that specialists and surgeons are super jealous of primary care doctors at this point in time, being able to have, you know, a subscription type of business model moving into it. And, you know, I mentioned it kind of breaks my heart. A lot of times we have to tell those individuals who want to do the right thing. They want to branch out, start their own practices, or really take care of people without interference of third parties. And we have to say, you know, it's coming, but it's just not quite there yet. But here you are on the flip side saying, you know what, there might be some options for these people. It's just high touch steerable events. 
Yeah, I don't know if we're ever going to get to specialty subscription. I just, it, it's kind of hard because a lot of this stuff is unpredictable. You don't plan on breaking a, a leg or hurting a knee or having a rotator cuff. Very episodic type of yeah, care. Yeah, so it yeah. just, it's, it's more sporadic care, but I think there is direct alignment between the direct primary care community and the specialty care community because you know, DPCs do such an amazing job with cost containment and certain, you know, avoidance of hospitalizations and urgent cares and what have you. But where it goes wrong for the plan sometimes is when DPC makes a referral out to the PPO network, they lose that cost containment. Uh, and because it's, there's not, as you know, there's not a, a true referral. It's into this, into the abyss, you know, here's the book and go find your specialist in the book to, that can take care of you. But in the specialty side, we're similar in that a lot of these guys now work for the large systems. Mm-hmm. And so they really need to be independent to play in this space and the direct pay or the direct care market, as we all call it. And we work with those specialists to help them get there. And it's really, as you stated, it's not that difficult. Once you get over the, well, what's the reimbursement level? Well, this is different. It's not dependent on a commercial carrier uh, agreement. You're not going to have to code appeal and fight for payment. You're getting payment either at the time of service or 14 days after service and you're getting paid a fair amount. And that's typically what do you charge if a member came in and said, I want to pay cash. So it's really, what's your cash rate? That's really what it comes down to. And that's actually the hardest question in healthcare to answer though. It is. But, <laughs> for, a know, lot, for a lot of, lot of people out there and patients don't even ask that question and, and doctors don't even know. So I always get on people and I'm like, if you don't know the price of your services, you're part of the problem. Yeah. And so I really specialize in the self-funded space. Mm-hmm. So it's not the necessarily the direct to consumer, it's kind of direct to employer, direct to health plan. And we're really starting to figure out how to bring alignment between DPC and specialists. Again, because there's that gap where they're being handed off to the PPO network and cost containment just ends right then and there. As where in our world, we have the continuum of specialists that want direct pay And we really believe that there's the ability to have almost a peer-to-peer referral. So a primary care physician to a specialist, keeping that cost continuum in place. And there's some platforms that are out there that allow after the specialist performs their services, their, their procedures, that those records go right back to DPC. So they're not lost out there like it many times is. So it's eliminating a lot of that kind of transactional friction that's all too common in healthcare. We're talking today with Doug Geinser, founder and president, high performance providers. And I wanted to, to, to drill on what you just said there, because that is something that we just preach from the high heavens, you know, from a primary care side is that do not just default into, hey, uh, Mr. Patient, you need a specialist. I'm going to just send you right back into the hospital that this doctor just came out of. And I'm like, that is the worst case scenario. And so when you say, hey, we, we deal with more of like direct, you know, self-funded direct to employer, you know, is there any advice that you would give, you know, for a primary care doctor or anybody out there who says, how do I help take control of that referral chain when I don't know of anything that exists in my area? So there are platforms out there. One that I'm real close to is it's called Coral. It's kind of a direct contracting platform. Yep, very um, good friends of the show. Um, they, they've advertised, they've helped support us in a lot of different ways. So great people right. over there. 
So they're, you know, let's let's kind of stay a little focused on that. So they're the largest platform of direct contracts in the country. Uh, they've got about 1.9 million bundles of care in there, all levels of specialty. And these are all independent physicians that want to get paid a fair rate to deliver high quality care. And there's alignment with the direct primary care folks, because again, it continues that cost containment, but it allows them to refer to a doctor that's working independently and outside of the major health systems. Mm -hmm. And we find that those folks are really the higher performing providers for a couple different reasons. And I say this, and it's not as an insult, they're smart enough to know that they need to get out of the system and that they want to work independently. They want to work with some level of autonomy And for the surgeons, what we have found that's the most unique finding out there is when they walk into an ambulatory surgery center, they get to work with their team. As where when they walk into a hospital, they're working with the hospital's team. So imagine being Tom Brady and walking out on the field and every single game, you've got a different front line. It would be nerve wracking. So, you know, and so when you walk into the OR, that surgeon's got his anesthesiologist, the OR tech, the scrub tech, the OR nurses, they sometimes don't even know who they are. So that member spends more time under anesthesia in an environment that's challenged. We all hear about the the nurse shortages that are out there. Well, those shortages are not just nursing. They roll through the entire operation. And so they don't have a team that works together where a lot of my surgeons, the average tenure in the OR is five, six, eight years where it's the same team. So they're able to get the procedures done literally in a fraction of the time. And they're able to deliver higher quality outcomes because of that, because it's teamwork. And then on top of that, again, it's a cleaner environment because the ASCs are just well-kept, especially if they're single specialty. Right. It's a great point. And one that I don't think we we stress enough is the continuity of care and really that team cohesiveness. We talk about why it's important to have a relationship with your physician, but on your side, on your flip side, like we just talked about, I mean, it could be a life or death to make sure that your physician has a relationship with the rest of the care team taking care of you. And um, I don't think that's something people talk about enough. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. If you walk into a room full of surgeons and you ask how many of you would like to do more work outside of the hospital, hundred percent of the hands go up. How many of you would like to do more direct pay? hundred percent of the hands go up. All of these guys and gals, they want to do this. They don't know the pathway of how to get there. They know they could deliver a higher level of care. And frankly, they earn more money by working in that type of environment, because when they walk into the hospital, they get their pro fees, their professional fees. That's what they get. Mm -hmm. And the ambulatory surgery center there, there's more money in a couple ways for the surgeon. Okay. So this is something that a lot of people don't realize when you look at the cost of a surgery, 85% of that cost lives in the facility fee. That's the hospital. Most of the times. Yeah, just 85% moving, of it. I, I just want to make sure we, we emphasize that because not a lot of people understand that either. You think I pay for the surgery, most of that's going to be going back to the doctor. No, that's false. That's actually no. false. 85% lives in facility fee. So when you move that facility from a hospital to an ambulatory surgery center, you're able to bring almost an immediate 50% savings to the cost of that surgery. And what that does is it also allows the ambulatory surgery center to pay a higher professional fee to mm-hmm. the surgeon. 
So they're able to say, look, buddy, I'll pay you a little bit more. So they're going to earn more to go to a cleaner environment to work with their own team. And where you really get the multiplier is the efficiency from a scheduling standpoint, too, because in the ASCs, they're highly run machines, well-oiled. And sometimes they could go in there in the morning and they could do three procedures in an ASC where they could only get one done in the hospital because of those inefficiencies that live in a hospital environment. So for the surgeon, literally, they could sometimes earn as much on a day going to an ASC as they would in a hospital environment in a week with less headache. Well, the natural follow-up question is, why isn't every surgeon in the country doing this? They just don't know how to yet. So they're, they're trying to figure that out. Uh, you know, when you come out of uh, med school and you go and you get your uh, fellowship training to become a specialist or subspecialist, they don't teach you anything about business. Mm-hmm. Um, th- they just don't know that. And so it really requires the, frankly, the, the smarts of the ASC owner and or the ASC administrator to be able to go out there and educate about the benefits. But then there's barriers in place as well. Does that doctor work within a system? And if they do, are they allowed to, I hate to use the word moonlight, but moonlight outside of the system. So there's a lot of caveats that are in between. So it's going to require programs like what you're doing right here to help educate that provider base that there are better ways to practice where you could earn more money and deliver a higher level of care. Talking to Doug Geinser, founder and president of High Performance Providers, how prevalent are these ambulatory surgical centers, the ASCs, as you call them? Um, are, they, are they everywhere? Are they scarce? Somewhere in between? It depends on the state. And I hate to give that, I hate to be flippant that way, but it depends on the state. There are certificate of need states where the systems have a heavier influence, a heavier control, and there's very few. And then there's other states where there's an abundance of those. And it's also important to know that not all ASCs are the same. So there's just as we saw in the primary care business, just as we saw in the hospital business, there's been major, major merger and acquisitions going on out there, where you've got groups like USPI, Tenet, uh, SCA, uh, that are buying these ambulatory surgery centers in they're taking away the autonomy of those because they're, they're aligning them with the hospital systems to, frankly, get a higher level of reimbursement out of the commercial carriers. So when we're out there, we're looking for more of the independently owned ambulatory surgery centers and those that have a willingness to work with surgeons of specialty and, and multi-specialty to bring cases in to deliver the services that we just talked about. I'm just trying to give people the feel that you know this isn't something that well, there's only four of these things nationally. I mean, they're far more prevalent than this, but sometimes you just got to look and dig a little bit deeper, like you said, to make sure that they're operating same kind of tenants that you're looking for that work best for your clients. So using Las Vegas as an example, in the Las Vegas marketplace, we have 17 acute care hospitals and we have about 110 ambulatory surgery centers. So there's an abundance of them. However, I just did a market analysis in Boston and believe it or not, Boston is a CON state. There are only four ambulatory surgery centers. One is ophthalmology and the other three are owned by the health systems there. So there's not much of an opportunity to put together a direct contracting surgical steerage play in Boston. Now you could drive them an hour up into Vermont and accomplish it, but in the Boston marketplace, it's kind of barren land. 
I want to give people, and maybe this is more of a, a public service announcement, but read people into exactly what certificate of need or like you said, CON laws are, because I know that you know federally that those are in the crosshairs. A lot of states are starting to claw those things back. And it, it is a very important fight that I think people should actually get involved in uh, if they can in their state and actually um, their representatives at the federal level. So read us in just a, a quick little brief on what you see from certificate of need and what that actually means. Yeah, so at a high level, it's the, the state revised statutes that say you cannot build a new healthcare facility unless a market analysis is done that says that there is a certificate of need. And what happens is it allows the larger health systems to say, no, we can't open up an independent standing free surgery or surgery center because that would affect our ability to deliver the highest level of care. We've got this. We uh, are able to properly serve this market and we don't need any more surgery centers in the market. So it becomes it's a it's a tool uh, for the larger healthcare systems to leverage out independent owners. Basically limit competition and drive yeah. out any type of market forces that could possibly exist from quality to pricing to access doesn't even have a chance to even grab hold. Yeah. It throw the free market principles out the window. Yeah. So it, it, big territory grab. So if anybody comes across that, anybody listening comes across certificate need laws, get involved because we all lose when that happens. So anyways, uh, once again, talk to Doug Geinzer, founder and president of high-performance providers. Looking at your typical client, uh, I guess your book of business, you work with a lot of companies um, who, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but have the ability to steer people into areas that are going to be lower cost, higher quality. Um, give us a little bit of read on, you know, on, on what that really means working with self-funded companies and how you give them options. And then I'm always curious to see if they actually follow through with those options that you give them. Yeah, so it really, it you have to work with the entire ecosystem. And so it starts with proper plan design. If the, uh, the plan design does not include uh, the ability to redirect members within that plan to a lower cost alternative, you can't do much of it. So it starts there. But then you, the next question is, who's going to do that navigation? Who's going to steer that member? And so sometimes that's done within the TPA itself. Sometimes they hire an outside navigation company or a medical management company. Sometimes they, the, the plan will bolt on a center of excellence model. So think of a Contigo, an Edison, a Carum, a Bridge Health, now transparent, uh, where that member is incentivized. Hey, go through this channel and we'll remove all member obligation. And frankly, that's the incentive is the member needs to be able to say, hey, I, I could stay within my own PPO network and nothing changes. There's zero friction, nothing changes. Or I could go through door B because the plan design allows me to go through door B and going through door B allows, it eliminates all of my member obligations. So mm -hmm. my copay, my deductible, my co-insurance go out the window. And so that's where you're able to really incentivize members to make the right choice. Now, the follow-up question is, you know, what are you seeing as far as compliance rates from that? And, you know, just to paint the picture a little bit, you know, what we see is that most, most patients will follow their physician's recommendations for referrals. Mm -hmm. And so, like, that's where you have to, like, really focus and drill it in. Like, when you need to escalate care, this is your next step. And if you don't do that, something bad's going to happen. Yeah. So, in our world, it's, there's a lot of folks that try to do this at pre-certification 
which at that point, the relationship's already been established between the member and the specialist. Where it makes most sense is to kind of go upstream a little bit and really work with direct primary care physicians to say, look, you've done an absolute exceptional job of managing the cost and managing the care for this member, keeping them out of the hospital, managing their chronic care or their chronic disease states, really taking care of them. If they do need specialty care, help your member out, help the plan out and continue the cost containment by getting them to another direct care provider. That's where it has to happen. Is that happening right now? Not as much as it should. You know, I would say the average health plan out there, probably if they've got the plan language right and they have some type of redirection team in there, they're achieving 25 to 50% success. I have seen some plans that are getting 80 to 100%. And they're doing that by not only waiving member obligations, but even incentivizing the member saying, when you come back to work, I've got a check in my drawer waiting for you Mm. for making the right decision. Because by you making the right decision, it helps the entire health plan. Because instead of going to the hospital for that $60,000 knee replacement, you went to this provider down the street where it was $22,000. And we waived everything. But on top of that, you just saved the health plan 30,000 bucks. Thank you. Here's a thousand dollars. I think people would respond to those. Yeah. Once that happens, word gets out within the company. And now all the other members are like, wow, this has been the greatest thing. I received a higher level of care. It's almost like concierge care in these practices as well, because you're not walking into a hospital waiting room with linoleum floors and plastic seats. You're walking into an ambulatory surgery center where the gal behind the counter is not there saying, driver's license and ID card, please. They're actually kind, caring, and they want to get you the, the best care that they can. And you're sitting in nice seats and it's an easier process. You're in and out quicker and you heal quicker too. It's amazing. And not to mention, you know, it drives down the stressors in any type of medical situation. And, and, you know, that's something that I've always had the opinion of that you could send somebody out and, and um, this is going back to, again, not knowing any pricing or price transparency where doctors send people. Um, one of the biggest issues that I have with, you know, you said about 25 to 50% of people comply with this plan and people are healthier and they're happier. You know, it, I, I still think that we could be doing such a better job from that primary care level of actually educating somebody through and and just following through that and say, okay, you need to go have your knee scoped. Here are the options. And I'm curious, just walk us through a scenario when, you know, your company or your clients have a situation like that. Walk us through the steps. And and I just want to paint a picture of how that experience differs from what a lot of people have to go through dealing with traditional benefits or heck, even going, going about this on their own, which is terrifying. Yeah. So and it all comes down to the plan design. So I sit on the provider side negotiating uh, direct contracts with all of the groups that assist in that. So we talked about the COEs, then their surgical steerage company. Some TPAs are doing direct contracting themselves. I have some advisors that are doing it and they're doing the redirection. I think where the ability is, these members, they don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. And so if they're told, look, call this phone number, call this nurse, call this navigator, they're there to help you. And on the other end of the line, here's a kind, warm person saying, hey, so sorry that you uh, went and you got this MRI done. You're going to need that knee scope. Don't worry. We're here to help you out. 
here's a list of four different providers that we could recommend that you go see. Here's their quality scores. And on top of that, you're going to see a higher quality provider. And by going there, you don't have to pay any extra money. We're going to waive all of your out-of-pocket. That member gets off the phone feeling amazing because they didn't know how to make that choice, that decision. And so here they're going to get a higher level of care and it's not going to cost them any money to get that. That's that's where the win-win-win comes out. I think it's brilliant. You know, it's brilliant, the simplicity. And then obviously you are incentivizing the correct behavior. It's not, it's not going to cost you any money, but you're going to go down to the, you know, the back street, the alley, and some guy's going to be sitting there with the butcher knife waiting to cut India. It's not <laughs> that at all. Right. And it's just funny how when we talk to people and they're just perceptions of that Q word, right? The quality word, what does that actually mean to people? And, you know, in, in these ambulatory surgical centers, like you're talking about quality actually means health outcomes. When you send somebody into your local hospital, who's just, it's a qual it's a quantity game. That word of quality can mean whatever they get reimbursed the most. That's what they're going to do. Now, I will say that there's a challenge that we face out there. And that is most of the data that we all look at is CMS-driven data. Okay? So it's not the best data. It's, it's Frankly, it's in my opinion, it's crap data. Shouldn't say that out loud, but I just did. So we're going to deal with that. So... I'll give you an example of one of my surgeons here in Las Vegas that happens to be a total joint replacement surgeon. He works hard not to do procedures in a hospital. So 10 years ago, when we started taking cases out of the hospital into the ambulatory surgery center, he was still going into the hospital a couple of days a week. Now, every year we try to reduce that. Now he goes in one day every other month. That's it. And so when I talk to one of these people that says, I've got the greatest data sets and they, I go, great, let's take a look at this doctor. They look at me and go, he's a low volume surgeon. We would never send a patient there. And I laugh and I go, he does 500 joints a year in an ambulatory surgery center. And you're judging him on the 40 that he did inside of a hospital. <laughs> There's a, a, a breakdown there. We really need to get down to surgeon level quality data inside of an independently owned ambulatory surgery center. That's the biggest challenge for us right now. I, I'm absolutely for that, you know, just from, from our standpoint and in the direct care industry at large. I mean, what, that's, where, that's where people hit us on the flank. Well, you don't have any data to prove that this model actually benefits people. And I'm thinking, well, how in the world are you going to go out there and quantify the amount of dollars that say it's Medicare? that I just saved as a doctor, my elderly patient, because I pulled her out of the emergency room when she was about ready to put her Medicare card down. How do you quantify, you know, the dollars not spent? It, it, it's just an asinine argument. Everyone's just always sitting there, data, data, billing codes, billing codes, billing codes. And, um, you know, stories like that, like you just said, it proves that all of those, those talking points are just superfluous. And they are, they are playing into a construct of healthcare that at this point in time, you know, what you and I know is obsolete. Yeah, absolutely. there's a better way to do it. And, and to, to further, again, to kind of reiterate the story that I mentioned before, when that surgeon walks into that OR at the hospital, doesn't know the team. And so that member using joints as an example, let's kind of stick to that. In his own OR and his own ASC, we could get a joint done, call it 24 to 28 minutes. And it's done every single day. Going to the hospital, that same surgery, same surgeon, same surgery, 
may take 40 to 48 minutes. It has nothing to do with the surgeon's skills. It has everything to do with the team skills around that operating room table. Mm -hmm. And so what does that do to patient outcomes? When you have a member under anesthesia for 20 more minutes that they should not have been, delays their recovery time. They're in a hospital environment that frankly is dirtier Mm -hmm. than an ASC environment. So their likelihood of a complication or infection is a multiple higher. Really, it's, it, we need to work on that. And again, it's going to require more and more surgeons to step up and say, I want to be independent and I want to work on my terms in a facility that I either am credentialed at or I own part of. And I know I could deliver a higher level of care. And I've got confidence in that with myself where I'm able to come up with my own bundled pricing, which allows the plan to save money. I can't help but thinking that from a macro scale, you know, going way up in the sky and looking down, you know, we've spent majority of this episode talking about the realities of a completely alternate healthcare system that are actually happening and are actually here today that is real. Yep. And I, I, I don't want to discount that because, you know, half the battle is showing people that this isn't just smoke and mirrors, right? Chris, I think we're at a really interesting junction with all that's been going on with the, let's call it the hospital transparency laws. That's going to really break down the mystical PPO networks that have been out there because it's just a matter of time before everybody realizes exactly what the discount is. You know, the hospital gives this discount to this carrier over this carrier. And I think it's going to bring rise to what we're calling almost the the DPO, the direct pay organization where providers are earning more, delivering a higher level of care, employers are saving money, and members are saving money and receiving a higher level of care. There's no loser in that mix except for the commercial carriers. And I don't think anybody would shed tears on that except for them themselves. The amount of money they're pulling in from you know, mandated uh, insurance policies, I mean, gosh, that it, it, it's just a mess. And then like, how do we ever get here? But I agree with you, flipping all the lights and watching the cockroaches scurry it's, it's going to be very cathartic and have a massive ripple effect for patients, physicians, actually the people paying the bills, you know, the employers out there. There's a lot of really neat things that are happening here. So Doug here, last question. Where do you see, where do we see we go from here? What kind of momentum do we have? And, and how soon does that vision, kind of that wish list that we've been talking about become more and more prevalent? Again, it's going to require the entire ecosystem. What I've watched over the last couple of years, and this is, we're we're grateful uh, for this. It's unfortunately happened because of the COVID pandemic, but it forced a lot of us to come together and we're doing more and more of these Zoom meetings. And it's interesting. I just got back from a conference down in Phoenix two weeks earlier. There was a conference in Nashville And inside of that conference, you've got benefit advisors that are writing the plan. You've got independent TPAs that are helping to steer this care. You've got care navigation companies there. You've got folks in the direct contracting business. The whole ecosystems are coming together and things that we talked about four years ago are now starting to come to fruition. Uh, Many thanks to the folks such as yourselves, the folks over at the FMMA, the folks over at Health Rosetta, all of these silos are coming together and and communicating with one another. Because again, it's not the DPC audience can't do it on their own. The surgeons can't do it on their own. The advisors can't do it on their own. TPAs can't do it on their own. 
everybody needs to come together and work together. And we're starting to see that now. So I, I think the next couple of years are going to be really, really interesting and positive for all of those in, in healthcare and that want to deliver the highest quality of care and save plan dollars. Doug Geinzer, founder and president, high performance providers. Thanks for spending some time here with us on Healthcare Americana. Thanks, Christopher. Appreciate it. That's going to do it for this episode of Healthcare Americana. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You can also check us out online at healthcareamericana.com. Catch previous episodes, subscribe to our mailing list, and visit our fantastic online store. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all our episodes, visit the shop, and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro and managed by Melissa Turpin. Healthcare Americana is brought to you by Freedom HealthWorks and Freedom Doc. If you've been struggling to get the care you need and the access you want, it's time to join your local Freedom Doc. Visit freedomdoc.care to find the practice location nearest you. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.